like vinyl records, typewriters, fountain pens, and mechanical watches, film photography seems to be back in vogue. For some of us, it never really left. Hello, friends, and welcome to Photo 365. My name is Andrew Hayworth. This show will be a little different because I'm not pitching any questionable advice today. I'm just reminiscing about film photography, which I'm seeing more and more interest in these days, despite efforts of the industry to get rid of it altogether. Nikon recently discontinued the only film camera they were still producing, the F6. Leica still makes a couple, and then there are specialty rigs like field cameras, which are entirely unique. The folks who use those have earned the right to scoff at us digital shooters. I was thinking about film as I was boxing up some gear to sell last week. I loaded up some T-Max into a battered Nikon body and shot a roll in a local pinball arcade. Then I pulled out some unused rolls of 120 film and considered going out on a shoot with my medium format rig. I wasn't particularly motivated until a friend of mine from some years back reached out for advice on film stocks for an upcoming trip. Next thing you know, I've pulled out boxes of negatives and prints and old cameras, and I was reliving the good old days. I'd forgotten just how much film I'd burned through the years. Thinking about it almost felt like a dream. Fortunately, film stocks are still being produced, but there was a dark period some years back when it looked like the industry had dried up and films were going to be left in the hands of small boutique companies. But the medium has survived, and there are scads of old film cameras available for dirt cheap on the used market, from medium format bodies to vintage stuff, and what I think is an overlooked segment— the feature-packed autofocus film cameras that entered the market right before digital took over. Can you believe you can get a near-mint Nikon F5 body for about 350 bucks or so right now? Those seemed like unobtainium when they came out in the mid-90s. I suppose if you didn't grow up shooting film, the concept of it must be akin to writing on stone tablets with a hammer and chisel. Yes, before the days of digital photography, there was this wonderful process that relied on photochemical reactions. And if you grew up using film, that was just what you were used to. There was really no novelty in it. If you wanted a different look for your images, you selected a different film. If you needed to change ISO, you used a different film. You may have carried multiple cameras for different ISOs, or maybe you had one camera with color film and another one loaded with black and white. Color film was balanced for daylight temperatures, but there were even film stocks designed for tungsten lighting. There was infrared film, both color and black and white. There were films designed for copy work and trippy orthochromatic black and white films that did strange things to skin tones and certain colors. In the black and white world, we had a bewildering array of developer chemicals to bring out different tonalities, to minimize or increase grain and contrast and so on. If you wanted the finest grain and saturated colors, you shot chrome, also known as slide film. There were many choices in the paper we printed on, particularly in black and white. 
If you've never reached into the fixer tray and pulled out a perfectly exposed 16 by 20 black and white print on warm-toned, double-weight, agfa, semi-gloss fiber paper, you don't know what you're missing. You could even cross-process film, that is, develop slide film and negative film chemistry for wonderful, unpredictable results. You didn't need to be a darkroom technician or even know much of anything about photography to operate a film camera in those days. Regular folks just used a point-and-shoot camera they bought in the electronics section of a department store, kind of like the way people use their phones to shoot photos now. You pressed the shutter, you dropped your film off at a drugstore or dedicated photo mat, and after a few days or even weeks, usable photos would show up in an envelope. And that must sound completely insane to Generation Z, but look back at your family photo albums. Film photography was extremely egalitarian. One of my earliest memories is of my grandmother using a cheap 110 camera to photograph a wedding cake she'd baked. Then she handed me the camera and I imitated her, thus taking my first ever photos. I may have been four years old. A few days later, I remember looking at the photos and they were sharp and colorful. Do you think either of us knew what we were doing? Yet here were usable photos that ended up in an album along with negatives that may survive hundreds of years if stored properly. In theory, those first photos of mine could be reproduced today. The camera that shot them still works and resides in my collection. Film photography started going out of vogue in the early 2000s, but the writing was on the wall in the years before that. In 1996, I remember seeing the Apple Quick Take camera for the first time while working on the student newspaper during my senior year of journalism school. Yes, Apple once made a dedicated digital camera. It was this flat, gray, rounded, plastic UFO that didn't resemble a traditional camera at all. It shot photos at a whopping maximum resolution of 640 by 480. You could shoot eight photos at that size or more at an even lower resolution. The images were saved to an internal memory card and you didn't know what you had until you downloaded them because there was no preview screen. I thought the images from that camera were pretty awful, and I preferred scanning black and white film I shot on my Pentax SLR. A classmate of mine really took a shine to the Apple camera, and one of our professors dubbed her the Quick Take Queen. Her images looked pretty rough, but they were good enough for the purposes of the student newspaper. Also, she wasn't staying late developing and scanning film. The convenience of digital was obvious. I remember seeing the first digital SLR about a year later while on assignment from a hometown newspaper. A gentleman from the Augusta Chronicle was using one of the first mass-produced Kodak DSLRs based on a Nikon body. I believe it was the N90. You could tell it was a digital rig because of the oversized battery pack and grip, which presumably held the guts of the digital back. I asked him about it, and he gladly let me try it. Looking through the viewfinder, there was a small rectangular area marked in the center of the focusing screen. This was the active area for the digital sensor, which equated to a crop factor of about 2.6. 
on the tiny 1.5 megapixel sensor. So to shoot a photo at a normal focal length required a massively wide lens. Nope, I'd gladly stick with my Canon 1N and film. The irony is, as digital cameras first sprang into the hands of consumers, film cameras were better than ever. With a modern Canon or Nikon SLR, you could slap a roll of film into the camera. It would auto-load, automatically set the ISO, provided the film canister was coded. And in seconds, you were ready to shoot. You didn't have to manually wind the camera. You could shoot three to five frames a second or faster in some cases. Autofocus was pretty reliable, too, even by today's standards, especially with lenses using ultrasonic motors. You could easily place the camera in auto mode or program and get perfectly exposed, sharp photos without any trouble. Film was relatively cheap in the 1990s, and you could get it developed in about an hour at most places. Photos from this era were no different than the photos we shoot today. Less photoshopped, maybe, no HDR or anything computational, but we photographed the same things. Sports action, portraits, weddings, concerts, products, conceptual photos, and so on. I remember shooting five 36 exposure rolls of film for a co-worker's wedding, and that seemed like a lot of images. When I shot a wedding with my first digital camera, a Canon 10D, I drained all my batteries and had to switch to a film camera to finish it off. It was no big deal. That brings me to where we are today with film photography. And this is just an observation. A very large majority of film images I see today get posted simply because they're shot on film. They suffer from exposure and development issues, poor scanning, and so on. This isn't necessarily the fault of the photographers. The last time I took a roll of film to a drugstore, they returned my negatives and nearly destroyed, folded back on themselves, scratched to death, stained with a sticky substance, and had scotch tape on them for some reason. Scanning roll film isn't easy for a hobbyist, and even if you own a film scanner, there's a dark art to making a good scan. Then the cameras themselves, especially old ones that have been fished out of a closet, they could have problems. Light leaks, shutter issues, dodgy lens apertures, foggy, fungus-ridden optics, and so on. As a result, many of these images would barely make the cut on a Facebook post. If your iPhone took photos like this, Tim Cook would be hauled out of Cupertino by an angry mob. Photos shot on film don't seem to be held to the same standards modern digital photos are. I'm speaking very generally here, but it seems like every time I see someone showing off their film photography, it's mostly because of the novelty of the process. So rather than share an image because it makes some sort of creative statement, they're shared because film was used, as if that process is so arcane that the process itself somehow contributes to the value of the image. It's not, hey, look at this amazing photo I took. It's, hey, I shot this on film. Isn't that great? No one seems to care that it's uninspired, maybe out of focus, poorly scanned, or just downright bland. And again, I'm speaking very generally here. There are plenty of film shooters doing just fine. We need to reach out to these film newbies and help them if we can. 
I'm not trying to be a buzz killer for this new breed of analog photographers, as some of them like to be known. I'm saying film doesn't make an image special. Just because you manage to load a roll of film into a camera rather than stick a memory card into a slot doesn't mean that image should be judged for anything other than its content. If it's your first roll, I can understand your excitement. But an image of a parking lot is still an image of a parking lot, whether you used film, a smartphone, or a medium-format digital camera. Use those first film images as learning tools. Get familiar with your camera, and then go take photos like you normally would. Yes, there is a difficulty curve when it comes to film photography nowadays. Old guys like me take it for granted that once upon a time you could walk into any gas station or discount store and find an array of film for purchase. It has to feel strange to someone who's never worked with film, like loading paper into a typewriter or having to pump your own water from a well. I've noticed a lot of new film shooters gravitate towards older cameras. The venerable Canon AE-1 is recommended so often, it's practically become a starter pack meme. Then there are the Pentax K-1000s, old rangefinders and the like. There seems to be a hipster hive mind that tells new film shooters they need a full manual camera to experience film. But don't sleep on the final generations of film cameras from the late 90s and early 2000s. These function just like a modern DSLR. They have great autofocus and metering and may work with lenses you already have. You can shoot film with confidence and not worry about a light seal rotting away, inaccurate shutter speeds, grinding gears, and so on. But I understand some folks want that full mechanical experience, and that is a fun journey in and of itself, and it's addictive. Some folks like to say digital cameras don't have a soul. Okay, sure, well, my Leica was handmade in Germany, and my EOS 1N was made by a machine in Japan, so I guess it doesn't have a soul? See how illogical that sounds? Let's not get too carried away. These are tools, not sentient beings. At the end of the day, film has some advantages. One is the film itself. You have a permanent physical representation of your images that you can save for a lifetime or longer. Digital formats can change. In fact, I'm worried the raw files from my Sigma DP2 may not be readable at some point. That camera uses the Fovian chip, which is a wonderful oddity that, when combined with the simplicity of the DP2, is actually pretty close to a filmic experience. Two, film is forgiving. Get the exposure in the ballpark and you can pull out a usable image, well, for negative film at least. Slide film requires more accurate exposure. I'm not even certain latitude is a good argument for film anymore since the newer breeds of digital cameras seem to have such a wide dynamic range. And last, you don't have to jack around in Photoshop trying to create a look with film. The film look is built in, and that's what draws so many of us back to it. It's not hard or even expensive to set up a black-and-white darkroom at home, and I see some shooters are even doing color development at home now. Scanning film isn't particularly fun because most of the process is spent waiting on the scanner. 
Cleaning up dust and scratches is tedious. If you have a scanner that uses infrared light for dust and scratch removal, you're in better shape, but this doesn't work on traditional black and white, so you'll need to make friends with the healing brush. Nowadays, I generally only shoot medium format film using a Mamiya RB67. Medium format has a unique look that digital hasn't quite caught up with, but it's pricey. I send mine off to the Darkroom, a lab in California that produces beautiful digital scans. They're fast, and they treat my negatives with the utmost care. These services, while excellent, will burn a hole in your wallet. For instance, Kodak Portra 120 film is hovering around $11 a roll right now, and shipping, processing, and scanning fees are just north of $15 per roll. You only get 10 6x7 shots per roll, so it works out to almost $3 per shot. You have to ask yourself if your subject is worth the expense, and you'd better make sure you're confident operating your gear. On the other hand, if you nail the shot, you won't remember what it cost. The last time I seriously shot with this rig was in Atlanta in 2018. I decided to leave my digital cameras at home and instead grabbed a backpack, the Mamiya, a light meter, and a small tripod. Shooting on the streets of Atlanta was a massive challenge, and setting up a portrait always required the disclaimer, this is going to take me a few minutes to set up. But the shots were indeed worth it, and the conversations with my subjects and folks who saw this camera in use were always interesting. Something about shooting with film enables that dialogue, and it's a great icebreaker. I've always hated the distinction between digital and analog photography. With film photography seemingly more popular than it's been in years, it's time to go back to thinking of it as simply photography. Let's drop the pretense that film in and of itself can make a photo special. In the end, it's still all about the image. For some of us, the extra work and expense is still worth it to see our images etched on celluloid. Folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Photo 365. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends. And if you're shooting on film, I'd love to see what you're working on. You can contact me at the show website, photo365podcast.com. Photo 365 is my hobby, but you can support the show by sliding some virtual coffees my way at buymeacoffee.com slash photo365. Keep looking out for great images, keep shooting, and we'll see you next time.